morning, everybody. Good morning, everyone. You've made it. You're here. It's, a, it's another Sunday morning. And Good morning. We're here at uh, Bay Area Church. It's another Sunday. Another week has gone by, and we are here together, uh, in physically and in spirits, to uh, to worship together and spend some time worshiping our Father this morning. Uh, we're going to have a great sermon for you this morning, as per usual, Tim. And uh, we're going to have uh, an observation of communion. We're going to sing some songs. And we're going to spend some time together, whether you're here at the building or whether you're watching from home, uh, focusing and really lifting our Father in praise. But before we start on that, we've got some uh, announcements this morning. Um, obviously, we're opening Sunday worship back up in a limited manner to, uh, to people to come. And if you'd like to take part in that and you haven't, uh, please check the Bay Area website. Uh, you've there's a video there that'll tell you all the stipulations of, of what it takes to come and, and worship here in a sign-up sheet. And we ask that if you're going to come and, and participate, you sign up by Thursday before the Sunday worship. Uh, all that's on the website, so please remember to check that out. But we'd love to see you here. Um, if you're watching at home, please take just a, a quick second to like, uh, to share this on Facebook. You never know who might be out on a Sunday morning perusing their Facebook and needs to hear exactly what's happening right here. So take a moment to like that, share that with your friends. Um, if you 
didn't have an opportunity to hear Robbie John last week, uh, with a great sermon that he brought us, you can go to the archive on Facebook or on the, the Bay Area Youth uh, or the Bay Area website for YouTube. Uh, all the sermons are there. Uh, please feel free to share those and, and go back and watch them from time to time as well. We've got some prayer requests that we need to keep uh, in our minds this week. Our brother Gary Lambrick, after having some difficulties in his scheduled operations this week, is, uh, is home recovering, which is great news. And so we uh, will continue to pray for Gary as he continues to recover. Uh, but it's wonderful news to know that he is home with Zoe uh, and getting on the mend. George Klein is going to be seeing a specialist next week to address the irregular blood tests that he's been getting, the results he's been getting. So we all need to be prayer warriors on George's behalf to make sure that uh, we've got some good results coming there as well. I don't have any new updates on David Harkins, but his situation, as far as we know, is still the same. He's trying to get well enough to get back up to his family in Tennessee. So let's continue to keep David Harkins in our prayers. Uh, and then, sadly, this morning, Jan Sweeney's son, Bruce Burnham, who we've been praying for for a long time with his fight with cancer, um, succumbed to his disease last night. And so we, uh, we want to keep Jan and our, Jan's here this morning. God bless you, Jan. We love you. We love your family. And uh, we know we've been praying for you. We'll continue to pray for you and to, uh, to hopefully be with your family, that, that God can give you a peace that passes our understanding. Uh, please be reaching out to, uh, to these people, uh, to Jan and her family who are in need of uh, your support and prayers. We know that we're all socially distanced, but that doesn't mean that we can't be sending cards and sending prayers and thoughts to each other. As always, be sure to check Vital Concern for the latest uh, up-to-date information, prayer requests, and, and announcements for any kind of prayer needs. If you're not part of Vital Concern or you're not getting those updates, please reach out to Aloha with the church office, and she can make sure that we get you on that list. Um, coming up, all who attended any of the Bay Area drive-ins that we've had over uh, the last few months will be excited to hear that uh, the Bay Area Youth Group and the Bay Area Faith Lane Group are putting together a, a fall festival drive-in this year in lieu of our big fall festival. We're going to be having a drive-in. It's going to be a little bit more family-centric, uh, a little bit more uh, focused on, on our family with, with some um, inclusion from the community as well. But we're going to uh, be having some exciting stuff to deal with that. If you've been to one of our drive-ins, you know how much fun it can be. Um, we're going to be rolling out some, some details on that over the next couple weeks, so keep an eye on Facebook and from Robbie and Angie on details for that. But that's going to be happening October 24th, so be sure to go ahead and mark your calendars for October 24th for the Fall Festival drive-in. Um, Faith Lane enjoyed another Zoom pajama party with Miss Angie this last Thursday. Um, everyone brought this last week, everyone brought their own items representing their favorite holiday, and they spent some time talking about that and incorporating that with a, a Bible lesson as well. Those continue to take place and will continue to keep taking place every Thursday. So if you need information on that, please reach out to Miss Angie for the, for the Zoom uh, password and the, and the page number, and um, she can get that to you. The youth group's continuing with their classes, as usual, on Sunday and Wednesday night. So after Tim's lesson today, make sure that you uh, grab a quick bite uh, for all those in the youth group and jump on the Zoom there. Uh, and then an update on our outreach into all of the world. Um, here at Bay Area, we're continuing to support several different missionary uh, efforts across the globe, uh, most notably in northern India and southern India, as well as in Venezuela and Ecuador. Um, India Siwa sends special thanks for providing much-needed funds to feed hungry people there, uh, as well as some of the weather they've been dealing with 
recently, um, and Benito in Venezuela sent his monthly report recently. Things are still very bad in Venezuela, as they are in many places of the globe, but they continue to praise God and give thanks for their blessings. Uh, they sent special thanks specifically to the Bay Area Church for the help that we were able to give them as they try to help others and continue to show God's love to their community. So they're asking that we please pray uh, specifically for Benito as, as he continues to try to, to do the work that he's working and also trying to get back to Ecuador as soon as possible to help the brothers and sisters that are there as well. So let's continue to keep them in our prayers as we think about uh, getting beyond our, our local communities and, and the work that the Bay Area Church and that Christ Church in general is doing across the world and, and that Christ is doing really across the world to bring us all together. It's Jesus' prayer that we would all be one. And, and in that mindset, before we transition into our worship this morning. We're going to sing some songs. Our brother Charles Reibenbark is going to lead us in, uh, in communion after uh, Tim's lesson today. Let's take a moment and just clear our minds, open our hearts up to God, and begin with prayer. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. You are amazing, and the love that you have for us we can never, certainly never deserve and, and never truly comprehend. Father, we thank you for being a God who has shown us so much compassion when we deserve so much judgment. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to just peacefully be able to put aside everything in our lives for this morning and, and lift you up and focus on how wonderful you are for us and what that means for us in our lives. Lord, we pray that you will give us a heart and a spirit like those who are reaching out in, in India and in Venezuela to share with everyone we come in contact with. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be a bold light for you in this world, that you will give us strength, that you will give us compassion, that you will give us wisdom and understanding to do your will in our everyday lives. Lord, we pray that you will be with those of us who are hurting. We pray that you will be with those of us who are, are in special need of your care to know that this body is stronger because of all of us in it and that we can lift each other up and we can sharpen each other in your words and in your works. Lord, we thank you for all these things. We pray them all in your son's holy name. Amen. All right, we're going to tag team you this morning. It's good to have you back. Whether you're watching at home or you're here in the building, really invite you to join us in with us and let's sing and worship together. Glorify thy name. Father, we love you, we worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy
Your light broke through my night, restored exceeding joy. Your grace fell like the rain and made this desert live. You have turned my morning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into joy. You have turned my morning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into joy. Your hand lifted me up. I stand on higher ground. Your praise rose in my heart and made this valley sing. You have turned my morning into dancing. You have turned my sorrow into song ladies at the start uh, before we get to the course you you go ahead and sing out when, when I hear you
Uh, after we sing this next song, Tim's going to come and speak to us. Uh, it's a little bit different version. Uh, we've done it a couple of times. A um, little bit different on the Amazing Grace part. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, have ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy brings unending love, amazing grace. My chains are
Hey, good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Thanks, Orlando and Dave, for that singing. I love singing songs. They're exciting, you know, kind of fast-moving. I'm not sure I love singing them with a mask on. Anybody else kind of feel like you're hyperventilating there for a minute? <laughs> but we all survived. Hey, I also want to thank Robbie for doing such a great job last week. Um, if you weren't here, if you didn't hear that, as Mike said, you need to go back and you need to access that. Uh, you will be blessed, and you'll be challenged and convicted as well. So, glad that you're here, either in person or online. Uh, glad to have you with us this morning. It's nice to be back. Nice to be back home. Heard about a, a married couple who was uh, in the habit of liking to like go out on the boat in the lake together. But the husband realized he was always the one at the wheel, and he worried a little bit about what might happen to his wife if something should happen to him. So one afternoon in the middle of the lake, he said, Honey, I want you to pretend like I've just had a heart attack. I want you to take the wheel. I want you to get the boat back to shore and get us docked. He took a seat. She took the wheel. She got the boat back to shore, got the boat docked. Later on that evening, she walked into the den where he's sitting. She sat down beside him, took out a book, and said, Honey, I want you to pretend like I've had a heart attack. I want you to go into the kitchen, prepare a meal, and clean up your mess. <laughs> now, I am glad that we are living in a time and in a day and age where those expectations of men and women and husband and wives, I'm glad that those expectations are beginning to get a little bit more equitable, a little more realistic. I've lived long enough to have seen some of that take place in my lifetime. You know, the old thing where, well, it's the man that makes the, makes the money and it's the wife that keeps the household. I'm glad that's changing a little bit. But this morning, we're going to go back to a different culture and a different time. We are going to continue our study through the book of Ruth. This is, our, I think, our fifth week in the book of Ruth. We have seen Ruth and a man named Boaz meet. We have seen them fall in love. And it's just about time for a wedding, right? If you're at a place in your life where you're thinking about one day getting married, or if you're at a place in your life where you have children or grandchildren and that you're thinking about getting married, I don't have to tell you how much pressure is involved in pulling off a wedding these days. It blows my mind just exactly how extravagant weddings have gotten. It's just an incredible amount of stress. And even though I just said that those traditional lines of responsibility are starting to blur a little bit, in my experience, it's usually the bride who shoulders most of the pressure for pulling off the wedding. She's the one who's doing all the work and kind, of, and kind of taking care of all the details. And, of course, we all know the reason why. She's the only one that cares, right? <laughs> I mean, us guys, we want it to happen. We expect it to happen. We're looking forward to it happening. We just don't really care how it happens. But, uh, man, there's a ridiculous amount of stress on brides today to ensure the perfect wedding. However... That wasn't the case in biblical times. In the Bible, it was the man's responsibility to plan and to organize and make arrangements for a wedding. And that's where we're picking up the story of Ruth this morning. I keep telling you that the story of Ruth is like a classic love story. 
And in classic love story form, we see a man and a woman, woman who meet, and right away we know they're made for each other. I mean, we know this is the couple that's supposed to be. And we just wonder, when are they going to find this out? So there's some tension there in the relationship. When are they going to get there? When are they going to you know, finally be a couple? When's it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And just like in any classic great love story, there's a competitor. There's somebody else who shows up. Kind of makes a, you know, a third point in the triangle. A fly in the ointment. We were introduced to that character two weeks ago in our story. Let me get us caught up a little bit. Ruth has proposed that Boaz propose, if you remember. And Ruth has made it very clear that she wants to be the wife of Boaz. But Boaz is also aware and makes it very clear that he is not the closest relative, the closest kinsman redeemer to Naomi. Boaz understands there's another man who's a closer relative to Naomi. That this other man has, by law, a, uh, a, an opportunity to be the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz wants to make sure that he's in the equation before Boaz can marry Ruth. Now, we don't know this other guy. We don't know anything about this other guy, but already, we don't like him, right? <laughs> we don't like him at all. And the reason why we don't like him is because he's the other guy. No, it's got to be Boaz. It's got to be Ruth and Boaz. Uh, and think about Ruth here in this position. You talk about an awkward place to be. Ruth knows she's going to get married pretty soon. But she doesn't know who she's going to marry pretty soon. You want to talk about another layer of stress on a, a wedding preparations. But, but Ruth knows who she wants to marry. She wants to marry Boaz. But at this point, it's kind of out of her hands. Let's pick up the text. Ruth chapter 4. It's only four chapters long, but we're in the fourth chapter of Ruth. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Wait, what? No. No, you can't redeem it. It's got to be Boaz. You can't be the one. It's got to be Boaz. Boaz knows something this guy doesn't know. And Boaz is about to share some fine print uh, to the contract. Verse 5, Then Boaz said, this is great, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I would endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. 
Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. So basically, legally, it's a done deal. Uh, verse 9, Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. And what Boaz has just done is both bold and gracious. We're going to talk about his strategy in just a minute. Verse 11. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Epathrath and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Okay, let's hit the pause button for just a minute in the story. In my introduction to this whole series, like a month ago, I told you this was a love story with a whole lot of layers. But if you remember, I also told you more than anything, this is a story about redemption. And here in chapter 4, we're going to see the redemption. Uh, Boaz has a plan to redeem Ruth. His plan is very honorable. It's a little bit risky. But in the end, it's really brilliant. Boaz positions himself at the town gate. And he's going to do this for a couple reasons. One, he knows the town gate's kind of where things happen. That's where everybody will be. That's where some elders will be. That's where witnesses will be. You know, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen at the town gates. Plus, he also knows if he stays at the town gates long enough, you know who is eventually going to come by. And I use that phrase, you know who, intentionally because the Bible never does give us the name of this other kinsman redeemer. We don't know his name. If you notice, Boaz doesn't call him by name. He says, friend, you know, come over here and sit down. This other guy, Ruth's other potential husband, you know, the third point in the triangle, we don't know his name at all. We don't know anything about the identity of this other kinsman redeemer. And maybe that's because he never does act very much like a kinsman redeemer. You think about it. Ruth returns to Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a tiny little place. Everybody knows everybody else's business. Everybody recognized Ruth when she came back, remember? Everybody knew Ruth, um, uh, Naomi was back in town with her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. So here's Naomi back in town, and everybody knows it. And everybody knows she's broken. Everybody knows that she has come back, she said herself, empty. This other guy, he's her closest relative. Where's he been this whole time? Why hasn't he done anything to help Ruth? But when he finds out that her land is going to be sold, he's all in. Absolutely, I'll buy it. I'll be happy to buy it. 
And the reason why he is so excited to purchase that land in this part of the story is because of the law that was in effect at that point. By law, if the kinsman redeemer purchased the land, he would be forced to marry the widow of the one who owned the land. And then if the widow and he in that union had a son, the land then at one point would go back to the son so that the dead husband's name would be attached to the property. So, this other kinsman redeemer is thinking, this is a good deal for me. Because Naomi is way past the age of bearing children. She's not going to have another child. She's not going to have a son. If I purchase this, it's going to stay with my estate. And then Boaz tells him, well, there's, there's one other little detail. Not only do you acquire the land, not only are you redeeming Naomi, but Ruth the Moabitess is part of the deal as well. And immediately, this other guy starts backpedaling. He immediately backs out of the deal. Nope, not going to do that. And the reason he's backing out of the deal is because Ruth is a much younger woman. And Ruth might very well have a son, which would then have all the property returned. In fact, you remember this other guy's response to Boaz, why he didn't want to redeem? I would endanger my own estate. If I redeem this situation, if I take the land and uh, Ruth, it's a pretty good chance I'm going to end up giving it all back. He's worried about his own estate. But isn't that exactly the same risk that Boaz is taking? Boaz is getting ready to do the same thing, right? Now, any financial advisor would have told Boaz, it's not a great investment. Probably going to lose your shirt on this deal, Boaz. The difference was, Boaz isn't marrying for land. Boaz is marrying for love. He desperately wants to marry Ruth. He loves Ruth. And I think it's incredibly ironic that this other guy who is so concerned about preserving his name, we don't know his name. He's so worried about his name being carried on, Scripture never mentions his name. We don't know what his name is. But we know Boaz, don't we? We know that name because he's the man who loves Ruth. Enough to give her a new name. And if you look in your Bible, as soon as this wedding takes place, never again is Ruth referred to as a Moabitess. She's never again referred to as an outsider, an alien. Because at great cost, Boaz makes the decision to love her into the family of God. At great personal cost, Boaz makes the decision to love Ruth into the family of God. Now, I've mentioned several times in this series that this story, this simple little story, is part of a much larger story. Because there's going to be another son born, and another son born, and then another son born, and another son born, until finally there's a, another son born in the town of Bethlehem who is going to do for all of mankind what Boaz does for Ruth. Now, Boaz is Ruth's redeemer. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. And for a few minutes that we have left here this morning, I want to spend just a little bit of time and talk about 
redemption. Because I don't think we talk about it enough. But you remember Naomi, the mother-in-law, told Ruth, the daughter-in-law, I want you to find rest. I want you to find peace. I don't want you living this anxious life in fear and poverty. I don't want you worried. I want your future to be secure. But that's going to mean redemption. Jesus is our Boaz. Let me share with you just a couple characteristics of a Redeemer that, that Boaz modeled, but Jesus perfected. Some things about a Redeemer. And the first is this. A Redeemer must be related. We're going to go a little bit deep here, so I'm going to challenge you to stay with me. I think it's important. A Redeemer must be related. We saw that in the story of Boaz and Naomi and Ruth. We see it in the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus put on flesh. By birth, Jesus became a kinsman. You know, redemption for us is contingent upon Jesus joining the human family. And Paul picks up on this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. Then he says it again in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there's one God, and there's one who brings God, and there's one God, and there's one who brings God and mankind together, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself to redeem all mankind. Understand something. If Jesus had never come to earth, we'd still call him Lord. And if he'd never come to earth, we'd still call him the Son of God. But we wouldn't be able to call him our Redeemer had he not come to earth. A Redeemer must be related. And then also, a Redeemer must be willing. Now, Boaz wasn't obligated to do anything for Ruth. He was motivated, not by obligation, but by a sense of love. And just like Boaz, Jesus wasn't forced to redeem us. He didn't have to do anything to step in and redeem us. He chose to. Listen to what he says himself in John chapter 10, verse 17. The Father loves me because I am willing to give up my life in order that I may receive it back again. No one takes my life away from me. I give it up of my own free will. It's an important statement that Jesus makes. It's important for us because let's face it, we're all Moabites. We're all separated from God because of our sin. We're all alienated. And Jesus says, I am willing to pay the price. I am willing to love you into the family of God. You know, Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. He was excited about the prospect of marrying Ruth. He was willing to pay the price to redeem Ruth. And so was Jesus. Listen to a really familiar verse from Hebrews. Uh, we know it well. It blows my mind every time I read it. Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him endured the cross. 
The Hebrew writers say that Jesus did this because he wanted to do this. He found joy in this. He was motivated not by obligation. He was motivated by love. Now, I'll embrace that. I'm not sure I can do a very good job of explaining it, and I really don't know that I understand it, but I'll embrace that. A Redeemer must be family. A Redeemer must be willing. And then, of course, a Redeemer must be able. I mean, you can be related and you can be willing, but if you don't possess the resources, then there's a problem. The debt that, that I have, the debt that you and I share, and it's not going to be taken care of by more effort. And it wasn't going to be removed by deferment. It was going to take a death. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Why, again, why is that so important? Why is it so important that we understand this concept of redemption? It's important because there are so many people, and I think there's so many Christians, who are living these really anxious lives. These really stressed out lives. And they're worried. And they're afraid. And they don't have rest. We don't understand the concept of being redeemed. Let me share a story with you. It's a true story. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a golf pro by the name of Harvey Pinnock. Harvey Pinnock was one of the uh, most accomplished golf instructors in the game. He wrote a little book, uh, really just kept a notebook for himself, all going all the way back in the 20s. He, he wrote uh, down notes to himself on how to teach the game of golf, and he kept it in a book. And at age 90, Harvey Pinnock did a pretty amazing thing. He wrote the best-selling sports book of all time. It's called Harvey Pinnock's Little Red Book. If you're a golfer, you've probably heard of, or at least familiar with that book. When he was 90 years old, he never showed anyone this book that he kept his notes in, but a sports writer heard about this book, and he asked Harvey if he could take a look at it. Harvey said, yeah, sure. Sports writer looked at it and he said, this is amazing stuff in here. I think, I think maybe we could sell this as a book. Could I show it to some publishing houses? Harvey said, I, I guess, yeah. So he took it and he showed it to some publishers. A couple weeks later, he calls Harvey at home. Harvey's not there, but his wife answers. And he's all excited. He says, I've got great news. I just got off the phone with a major publisher. They want to publish Harvey's book. In fact, they're talking about a $90,000 advancement. Tell Harvey to call me as soon as he can. A couple days go by. week goes by. Harvey never calls. The sports writer finally goes and tracks him down. and said, Harvey... You never called back. Come on, this is a great chance, great opportunity. Let's jump on it. And Harvey said, well, you know, I've been thinking about that. And to be honest, with all my medical expenses, I don't think I can afford to advance them 
He didn't get it, did he? He didn't understand that that price was already paid. The debt was canceled. Think about redemption. Boaz was family. Boaz was willing. Boaz was able to redeem Ruth. And Boaz shows us a picture of a much better, much more perfect redeemer in Jesus Christ. Someone who offers a better rest. And the Bible says there's coming a better wedding. And you don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be stressed out. We don't need to live our lives in fear. Because Jesus has taken care of all the arrangements. Do you notice when we get to chapter 4 in Ruth, at the climax of the story, where's Ruth? She's not there. She's not even on the scene. Why not? Because Boaz has agreed to redeem her. And Boaz makes it clear, I'm going to take care of everything. I'm going to make it happen. That's redemption. Let me close with one more story. I tell a lot of stories, I get that. I grew up listening to a preacher who told a lot of stories. And Sharon, if you're watching with us again today, in Indiana, Pennsylvania, your dad made a difference in my life. But I remember Ray Beggs, when I was just a kid, telling this story, or a pretty close version of it, I think, and I've remembered it all my life. It's a story about a little orphan boy who was um, living with his grandmother, and there was a house fire. And the grandmother tried to get upstairs to where the little boy was, but she perished in the flames. The little boy's cries from the top story uh, were finally answered by a man who climbed up an iron pipe on the outside of the house into a window, went into the flames, found the little boy, came out of the window, the little boy's holding on to his neck as he climbs back down the iron pipe. Gives the boy safely to, to some people there waiting. Several weeks later, there is a gathering of people trying to decide who is going to take custody of this little boy who has no family. There's a, a farmer and a teacher and a wealthy businessman who stand up and kind of state their case on why this boy should be entrusted to their care. And while this whole conversation is going on, the little boy is sitting, kind of staring off into space until a stranger walks into the room. Stands in front of the crowd and very slowly takes his hands out of his pockets, showing severely burned and scarred hands. It was the guy who climbed up the hot pipe to rescue the child. The little boy recognizes his rescuer jumps into his arms, holds on for dear life. The other men who were stating their case sort of slowly drifted away. The scarred hands sort of settled it, didn't it? You know, there's a lot of voices who are vying for your attention. This week, there's going to be a lot of different voices whispering, talking, shouting in your ear, trying to get your attention. One of those voices is going to be from a redeemer with nail-scarred hands 
who paid the price to save us. The scarred hands ought to settle it, shouldn't it? And as Scripture flows towards this ultimate climax, you ought to see who the Redeemer focuses on. It's the left out. It's the left behind. It's the passed over. Because again, we're all Moabites. We're all aliens. We're all orphans. And yet we have been sought. (laughs) We have been claimed. We have received the same invitation. Jesus says, let me love you into my family. Let me love you into a place where you can call my father your father. And you don't have to be stressed out about that. And you don't have to be worried about that. And you don't have to be afraid about what's going on around the world. Because you know what? I'm taking care of everything. That's redemption. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Boaz, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And all week, we're going to be seeing and reading and hearing reasons why we need to be anxious and we need to be fearful and stressed out and worried. Father, may we claim the truth of our story. We've been redeemed. Jesus has taken care of everything. So we're going to rest. And we're going to worship. And we're going to anticipate our promised destiny. Thank you, God, for inviting people like us into such an incredible story. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to be with us next week, either online or in person. We've got one more week we're going to spend looking at this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And I think we're saving the best for last. I'll turn it back over to Dave and Orlando and get ready to take the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Tim. Now, there's a phenomenon that happens when you start to tell a story. And you've probably noticed this unconsciously, but now that I'm fixing to mention it, you'll probably notice it every time. But when he starts to tell a story, the room gets still. It's like our ears sort of perk up because we know we're going to hear something. And the reality is the story we're looking at, the Bible could have just given us the lineage down through David and, and, and Jesus and, and, you know, Ruth and Boaz would have been in there, but they told us a story because stories speak to us. And so, Tim, keep, keep telling stories. Uh, we're going to sing in just a minute and, and share in the Lord's Supper. I want to do something I think Tim meant to do, but, you know, I can't imagine that there were things on his mind when he started this morning. But uh, Michelle Miles is here today, and uh, a lot of you haven't had a chance to meet her yet. Uh, we saw her video of her baptism a couple of weeks ago, and Michelle, I'm going to embarrass you and ask you to stand up. We do this to everybody. <laughs> but, but we're happy to have you here in the body, and I hope socially distanced you can get a chance to, to meet her and, and to chat with her. Um, Charles is going to come share some thoughts with us after we sing about our wonderful, merciful Savior.
Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a land could rescue the souls of men? Holy, rescue the souls of men. Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit, we long to greater love we all know the verse in John 15 13 I think the King James says it best no greater love hath any man than this that he lay down his life for his friends Jesus gave us those words and then he showed us what they meant we heard an awesome lesson today on redemption and Jesus was the one who redeemed us. And we take this time to both celebrate and remember what Jesus did for us in the partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, to remember his body and his blood that was given to us and for us. If you're in the auditorium, you have a little cup. Uh, you may find it simpler to lift the Top cellophane, instead of from the tip of the tab, from the side of the tab, it comes up a little easier. If you will remove that, we'll give thanks for both the bread and the fruit of the vine. Pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you have shown us, for the bountiful blessings you have given us in our lives, especially the gift of your Son. And Father, we thank you so much for that gift, and we thank your Son for the willing sacrifice that he made, knowing that he would suffer greatly and eventually that his life would be required. But he showed us that love. Father, we ask that you bless this bread as we partake it and this fruit of the vine that we remember that sacrifice. In your son's name we pray, amen. God has blessed us all with so many great things in our lives, with wonderful talents, wonderful abilities, and has blessed us materially as well. We set aside a time also to give back to God and his kingdom and his works from how he has blessed us. Let's pray for the offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the wonderful blessings you have given us, and we pray that we may in turn give back to you of our resources, our time, our efforts, monetarily, and even especially of our talents to further your word. Father, we ask that you bless our offering and that you bless those who are overseeing the administration of the offerings. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. be our closing song today. Get my mic on, although most people can normally hear me without it. <laughs> this will be our closing song, and um, it's been good being back. Um, and I hope that everyone just has a great week as we close things out, and you just take this message in your hearts and be able to share it. Everyone in this world needs redemption. <clears throat> I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then a little light from heaven filled my soul. It bathed my heart in love and wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. Hear our faintest cry, answer by and by. Now when you feel a little prayerful yearning, as your heart in heaven is turning, you will find a little talk with Jesus makes it right, all right. Sometimes my path seems drear without a ray of cheer. And then a cloud of doubt may hide the light of day. The mist of sin may rise and hide the starry skies. 
But just a little talk with Jesus clears the whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry. Answer by and by. Now when you feel a little prayerful yearning, as your heart in heaven is turning, you will find a little talk with Jesus makes it right, all right. I may have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled with tears, but Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer, he knows my every care, and just a little talk with Jesus makes it whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus, and let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry, answer by and by. Find a little talk with Jesus makes it well. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry.